0: Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. It's the Monday edition of Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA Studios in Honolulu. My guest co-host for the day, and I, I just have to issue a warning here before we even do the intro. Uh, it is the great uh, Lori Santy, who of course is my partner for Spectrum Sports coverage of Rainbow Wahine basketball. You can also hear her analysis uh, on Spectrum Sports regarding Rainbow Wahine softball. Uh, she isn't here today, but I gotta warn you, Lori. Uh, we are we have experienced some technical difficulties here throughout the day on ESPN Honolulu we were knocked offline early this morning during the morning show uh, and for I guess a strange reason the what we the the system that uh, we apply to with um, regard to the seven second delay, which allows us to dump out of live, um, you know, the, the the live broadcast in order to cover up if someone were to say by accident drop a uh, you know pilau term or a curse word or say something yeah, yeah. And, like we and we use that a lot with Lori because some of her <laughs> takes uh, frankly deserve uh, that kind of treatment. <laughs> hey. But no, whoa, but let me just finish. So warning, uh, no swearing, Lori. No okay. Swearing.
1: But you know, it's just a big dick is the first time I've ever put headphones on with a hat. You know what I mean? Oh. Like I'm trying to kinda of roll it feel so in. kinda of try to roll into the the sports radio thing, so I got it. Feels a little, and I'm I'm doing it blindly. Yeah, you have no I glasses, my glasses today. today. Yeah. So this is kind of a new, it's yeah. a new vibe for me. I feel pretty good though.
0: I'm over here, Lori, yeah. by the way. I don't know where you're looking. <laughs> um, we also have uh, Liz Stacy's usually working the board uh, for our show, uh, but we have Tanner Hayworth who's sitting in. He's putting in an extra long shift here. Uh, Liz uh, is out of the uh, studio today, uh, and so Tanner, we got a little extra puna kind yeah. of flavor in here. It just yeah. feels weird. No dump button. Extra puna I'm surrounded a yeah. little bit outnumbered a little bit by the Punahou vibe. Uh, It's just a little weird here. It's
1: like homework. You know, he's been conditioned.
0: And what's nice is I can just mute Kanoa's mic and (laughs) (laughs) we'll be all good if he doesn't agree with either of us, Lori. right. Well, we already were getting into it. I mean, we weren't even on the air yet. And we were already getting into it over a very important sports story that went down uh, here this past weekend. Uh, They had that uh, Lake Tahoe Celebrity Golf Tournament. It is uh, part of the American Century Championship. It was uh, held this past weekend. You got like you top-notch celebs all throughout that field. It's a really, really cool event. It's kind of caught on. It's become this really big, well-attended event that they put on annually. And so it got down to it. And your boy from your Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, uh, he ends up walking out uh, with the championship. Uh, He hit a hole-in-one over the course of the tournament. He sank like these super-long bomb putts, including uh, on the final hole to ultimately win. They go by the Stableford scoring system, so it's a point scoring system as opposed to like... You know, the usual standard uh, under par and that kind of thing. Uh, But there was a moment here on 18 that would perhaps beg for someone to apply an asterisk to this otherwise extremely impressive victory for Steph Curry. And that is because uh, former tennis standout Marty Fish was on the 18th tee with Steph Curry. They were vying for the title. Fish actually had, I think, the three-point advantage going into 18. And somebody in the crowd... In the middle of Marty Fish's backswing, yelled the word clown and did like a bird sound noise or something along those lines. And that prompted Marty Fish to kind of duck yeah, hook his y'all. drive into the trees. He would end up parring. Steph Curry got eagle. Uh, that could have otherwise been uh, maybe really great for the drama of the tournament because they could have effectively finished in a tie. We could have gone to a playoff. That could have been interesting. But <laughs> that anyway. was uh, good enough. But anyway. Uh, well, it's marred. Laurie, it's marred by the fact that this fan was intentionally trying to distract Marty Fish. And there were some reports that came out. Somebody was talking to the fan that made the noise and said something like, oh, I bet on Steph Curry. And, like, you know, there's all of this ancillary information that's coming out as well. But just the fact that this person acted the fool in that major, major moment uh, of this, this, yes, celebrity in golf tournament, <laughs> celebrity but a golf tournament, tournament? nonetheless. And Did I'm just saying Steph music? Curry should... Uh, he should he first should. off uh, have maybe referenced it a little bit more in the uh, in the post tournament uh press conference and celebration. He kind of celebrated a lot and uh, it wasn't really until his dad said something about how unfortunate it was uh, that Marty Fish experienced that on the tee box. I'm just saying asterisk Steph Curry. Oh. You should agree with that, no, right? No,
1: I can't. I, did you hear the music? It's, just, it's a celebrity golf <laughs> term. There was so much going on there and then Mar- the drama. You know who started that? Tiger. Remember when Tiger was in that full back swing and someone yelled something and he cried about it and stopped his swing and they've been talking about that for like the last 15 years. I mean, it well, was golf it, has always oh, been was there, a gentleman's sport. Do you think that people they wanted to see Marty Fish win that tournament? No. They wanted to see Stephen Curry make an eagle putt, drop the putter, and turn around a foot before the ball went in. That's what they wanted to see. And they got it. What if... They should have paid that person what that if, yelled in the backswing for Marty Fish because that made the finish in that tournament so much more fun.
0: What if it happened in reverse? Uh, what if it was... What if I the guy yelled? Like, how would, What would you know your what? take be in that instance you know what
1: Steph Curry's taking se- come on really like you think Steph wouldn't have stopped his backswing and let the club go and dramatize the whole if that's a word the whole thing he would have just played through it because he's used to that he's used to that he's used to being at the free throw line people are screaming it's a sport
0: he missed a golden opportunity. Uh, Steph Curry, who obviously has built a bunch of goodwill and is one of uh, you know the Good most guys. popular uh, sports uh, figures in, in the world or certainly in in the United States and um, you know he's 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 not considered a bad guy in any way but he missed an opportunity I thought to really kind of he turn him. that knob up even further if he was like no I demand that Marty Fish gets to re-tee it and hit again. That's what he should have done. I'm not sure what the tournament officials would have ultimately been able to rule under the circumstances. But that was kind of messed up. And it sounds like you don't think that no. is at all an issue. And in fact, it no. sounds like you think people should be doing yeah, that at golf tournaments in general. I think
1: people should be have more fun at golf tournaments. I do. Have a little, I mean, I mean, I guess you can't really I mean, yell can during the You have fun swing, without but, trying to
0: intentionally sabotage the professionals that are out I there. I mean,
1: I guess tennis does it a little bit, too. They quiet you down at one. Quiet, please. Mm-hmm. Quiet, please. Yep. Right before the serve. So, I mean, Marty I, I understand too, it a little way. bit. But, yeah, I don't know, man. I thought the ending was perfect. So you think that there should be more of that? Is, that, like you're, is golf, that your take? That, there should be more Yeah, there should be more like Steph Curry golf like man. I hope they model that. That I'm going to I want who are we betting on that puts in that situation and turns around and leaves that. Come on. That was pretty good. That is a pretty that was pretty. That somebody's going to do that. That is a pretty crazy Allison, thing. Allison's like, going like to do Steph that.
0: Steph Curry must have made like a deal with the devil or something like that, right? <laughs> I mean, like to have the kind of skill that he has, to make the absurd types of shots that he has made throughout his career, to be undeniably consensus the greatest shooter in the history of basketball and then also to be able to do that on a golf course. He hits a hole in one and yeah, he golfs a lot so you figure, oh, he probably will would have, you know, made a hole-in-one sometime. But no, he waits until the cameras are there and the fans yeah. are there and there's, there's big, you know... And then
1: the full run for 104 and he, years. Like, I, that is what that's what golf needs, man. That is... I, no one wants to see Marty do Fish it? win. How does he
0: hit this, like, big 40-foot... Cut bomb that's like bending and breaking twenty feet left. Like I don't know how this guy does it. It's amazing. Uh, He has such an incredible talent, which means you don't have to yell in his opponent's (coughs) backswing. Tanner, do you have a take on uh, whether or not there should be an asterisk applied to Steph Curry's? Come on, Buff and Blue. I think so. I think there should be an asterisk Uh. because he had a lot more prep time. He's been practicing since they lost to the Lakers. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lori's hurting now.
1: That's a bubble championship. Come on, Tanner. That didn't count. That oh, he's LeBron talking about cha- this
0: year's playoff. Yeah, what oh, about this year? Yeah. Didn't they lose in the bubble, well, too? You know, we're Are they there. even at the bubble?
1: Come on. Four championships? Come on, Tanner. Come on, yeah, Tanner. I know, exactly. Come on, Tanner. They shouldn't even Should recognize the bubble championship. Now, they- I'll tell you where there's an asterisk in 2016 when LeBron got oh, Draymond. That's oh, an asterisk, Tanner. That's, don't talk about asterisk. But we can't move on from this combo cuz we only have an hour. You really before, look at the world through a very specific color lens. The world knows that my partner, right, 18 2 feet across this table. Came up with his first golf championship himself this weekend.
0: I mean, I don't really want to make this show about me. You know, this show that uh, we refer to as Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy. I really don't want to make it about me. But since you mentioned it, uh, our good buddy Brian McInnes uh, of Spectrum News, he's one of the the, uh, co hosts in rotation here with the show uh, and a good buddy of mine, uh, he has held this um, tournament. Uh, It's kind of an informal thing, but it's grown into uh, like a pretty well participated uh, event Uh, every year. Uh, we hold this uh, event called the Memorial Golf Tournament. We do it at Bayview um, and he just kind of stacks up the tee times and we go and we do it. It's not like an official kind of formal tournament in that way, Uh, but we get a bunch of the peeps together and we golf and it's in honor of his father who he lost several years back uh, and who used to love going to golf at Bayview Uh, and so it it started as just kind of like a foursome, like a group that went. They kind of called it uh, the the Memorial and and it has since grown and uh, a lot of people have, have participated in it over the years uh, and so yeah uh, yesterday it was held again mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know I had a little bit of an out-of-body experience nobody yelled in my backswing <laughs> I and I got really gonna... lucky and I ended up uh, you know, I ended up winning
1: the tournament
0: so uh, what are you gonna do? <laughs>
1: I'm sure nobody yelled at anybody's backswing yesterday, right? <laughs> because we respect yes, the game. Yes, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, so I'm sure. We're
0: I'm, not cheating the game. No, no. Yeah, so no. there were a
1: lot of things that probably didn't get cheated yesterday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so who had the bigger win? That's topic number one. Eight hundred eight two nine six fourteen twenty is the number. Who had the bigger golf win? Was it Steph Curry or was it yours truly? <laughs>
1: <laughs> waiting for your calls <laughs> call or text
0: still waiting still waiting you can also text in via the zephyr insurance text line uh you are a bit of a golfer yourself you're, you're also a pickleball player Pickler. which sport is sort of more in Lori santi's wheelhouse yeah
1: you know i'm a two, i kind of got a two-hour limit as you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right why is there a two-hour limit I, I don't
1: know i about 13 my hat goes on sideways on the golf course and i'm like honey are we almost done? So, I, I, I really like golf. is different. Golf is a little more, you know, it's like if I, it's sort of the second thing of the day. You know, golf is, is not really. Golf's kind of a commitment. is a little bit yeah. more of a sport. Like you get, you know, you get to like you hit people and st- it's a, sure. good, you know, it's, you're sweating. You're sweating. You're sweating, yeah. You're sweating and you're not writing. And you can do it.
0: And you can still do other things that day, whereas right. golf tends to take you <laughs> yeah. away from the world. And when really you're for with the Mark Santi, you got
1: to warm up because you don't get enough strokes in 18 holes. You know, you need to go out. <laughs> and you need to hit some balls and get loose. And then after, if you play badly, what do you do? You go back to the range and you try to fix it.
0: Oh, no, I don't do that. Yeah. I, we go straight to the 19th <laughs> hole and we wash away all no, of the bad shots from I our like memory banks. I like
1: to. Say, you know, one of the things I love about it's just so beautiful. I mean, it's yeah. just not a, I mean that's a, a lot of it for me, right, is just being out. So, yeah. Uh, Mark like
0: can go. play. A your, your hubby can play a little bit, huh?
1: Well, yeah, yeah
0: oh okay you, you've <laughs> taken go-
1: yeah he does he's a for his swing he's a he's as an amazing ability to score
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> um by the way did you see this recent article i think cnn business uh, published one i think there may have been another one uh, that was attached to the new york times but basically they were talking about pickleball which is currently america's fastest growing sport right based on how many uh, people played it uh by and large just a few years ago i'm talking like 10 years back it's a A sport that goes way back, actually, like decades upon decades. Uh, But it is the fastest-growing sport in America. But it has been taking a toll on players' wrists, legs, and shoulders. So basically, this article talks about the explosion in injuries as a result of pickleball playing and uh they this particular article said that pickleball injuries may cost americans 377 million dollars in healthcare costs this year accounting for five to ten percent of total unexpected medical costs now anytime you have an explosion in a sport as far as participation is concerned um and especially like you're saying it is a physical sport it is a a sport that causes you to sweat and you got to move and um Anytime you have that kind of of added participation or that increase, uh, you're going to increase the number of injuries. That That is for sure. But do you think part of this, and I think some of what the article was trying to suggest runs along these lines, part of the reason is I think there's a perception that pickleball is kind of easy. Like, it's kind of chill. It's kind of cool. It's definitely easier than tennis, right? Like, it's it's not nearly as demanding uh, on your body, but it still is to a degree. And I think it's that false perception where you have a lot of people, I think, particularly maybe former athletes who uh, were were more participatory in other sports growing up kind of thinking i need something i need something to sort of get back into like being physical and fitness and all that stuff and they see pickleball as this incredible outlet which it is but it when you are a former athlete or or you have maybe been a little bit more stagnant physically over time and you start to do the pickleball thing that's not necessarily going to go well for you physically either
1: you know it's interesting i think it's kind of twofold one is that you have a lot older population that started to, you know, is playing it, right? Because it's a game you can, you can walk, you can literally walk out in the court and within about 10 sessions, play it, which isn't the case with a sport like golf or, or skiing or things that are lifelong sports, right? So it is a sport that kind of targets older people in the sense that, hey, we get to go out and play a game. We don't have to go work out, you know, we can actually, which is like golf in a way too, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you, you actually get to play something, which kind of gets you going. And I think the second thing is because of that, you know, you get a lot of people who are who are pretty out of shape, right, that that get out there. I'm not sure that it's the athletes that really get hurt. It also kind of gets in your head. You, It's addictive. It's a really oddly, you play it a few times and you kind of want to play it more. You talk to people, It's I, I'm not sure what that is, if it's just that endorphin release that maybe we old people don't get as much, but... It's kind of interesting. So, but there was another article that came out that said that the life expectancy of people that are playing pickleball is six to ten years longer. No kidding. So that, of course, all these things, studies are always easily torn apart. But yeah, kind of interesting. So I think that's just the social part of it, right, and sort of the exercise side of it. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you get hurt playing well, it.
0: Why do you think it was so attractive? Because I think the the largest explosion in the the amount of people that play pickleball now occurred like, coming out of the pandemic, right? That, isn't, is, is that accurate to I say? I think the
1: younger population got it out of the pandemic. There is a whole core group of people that probably started playing it, like, 15 years ago. In fact, you remember Jeannie Garcia, right? The yes, panel. yes, absolutely. She got into it pretty heavy. Yeah, she like, was, like, national like competitions, group, right? Right, a whole group of... Of folks that have, you know, and, and, and the te- there's either tennis tennis players either hate it or, or they'll play it, right? There's no in-between. A lot of tennis players are haters on it. But the tennis players that have come over, right, they've started to come over a little bit more. But it's so simple. It's not equipment intensive. You know what I mean? It's like you can set it up with tape and you, with, you know, sidewalk chalk, right? It's a really easy sport to pick up. And the learning curve is pretty steep. And I think that's, that's really – it's just a simple yeah. kind of – simple stupid game you know it's yeah yeah. so i think that's part of it i mean i didn't think i was gonna be that, you know, get into it. And it just was kind of fun. It was kind of going. I always say it's where basketball players go to die. You know, it's your last, it's your last court sport. <laughs> it might you know? be. Like, it might be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, um, that, that's interesting because you're right. I, I think there has been that perception, right? You had the, the tennis people sort of on one side and pickleball on the and other. And the noise. But now there's it. some crossover, right? Like you've seen those celebrity uh, doubles matches really include Andre Agassi and, and Michael Chang and all these guys. Um. And so I think it's becoming a little bit more embraced by the tennis community, but by and large, generally speaking, the tennis people hate the pickleball yeah, people, right? Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. And, and, they, and it's, it's become a little bit of a problem noise-wise. But I don't know. You know, anytime you get people to be active and social, can't be a whole lot of bad about that, you know? So we'll see moving forward. I actually really in a— kind of a, a fight to get more courts and more mm-hmm, dedicated mm-hmm. courts. And, you know, you can play pickleball on a regular tennis court and just line it. Which and, is
0: why the tennis people hate pickleball yeah, people yeah. because they're taking the tennis courts to play pickleball. You know, the
1: irony is that if you walk into a public gym, you got, what, three sets of lines? You know, yeah. you got volleyball. It's a, it's an odd thing with t- I understand it, but sort of being a basketball person, I go, oh, gosh, I walk in the gym and people get mad when the volleyball lines are on their, you know, basket. But it's the community kind of thing. So it'll be interesting moving forward. It's fun. And, and I know you've played it a couple times. So
0: Yeah, I, I enjoy it. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's 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 one of those things where it levels the playing field because you can't just smash the ball right. It, it, to me, it's it's not as much a shrunken down version of tennis as it is this enlarged version of ping pong or table tennis because you need touch, you need finesse. You can't just go out there and smack. You got to kind of have a lot of technique to it. Um, And I think, um, and I think it's, it's that, that is what makes it a little bit more accessible for a lot of people. And it's
1: so cross-generational. Like you can tone your game down. You can play with kids. You could, you know, you can make the game functional amongst a lot of different skill ranges You know, you go play golf, and someone—you know—you're waiting for someone to find their ball. It's not great, you know. So it's kind of different in that regard. I think you can really sort of mix generations, and I think that sort of made it popular. All
0: right, we got to take a break. Tanner, pickleball, what? Yes? No? For sure. (laughs) <laughs> That's All right. My guy. Oh, such a Punaho answer. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, the NCAA came down hard on Tennessee football. Uh, and I think what is interesting about the punishment that they came down with uh, is it could further set a precedent about how the NCAA now levies these punishments because this one seems to, by design, be intent on avoiding punishing the players and the coaches who are involved with the program now, which has long been. In an argument when it comes to these types of NCAA punishments. So we'll get into that uh, with my girl, Lori Santi, on the other side of this break. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Lehi here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Lori Sante is my guest co-host for the day. Uh, she is running a little bit at a um, at a loss here because she doesn't have her glasses. So yeah. she's squinting at me from about three feet away across our table here. Uh, but she's still giving the hot takes. I got it. I'm in. She's I'm still good. providing the hot takes. It doesn't matter uh, how, how clear the vision is. Uh, the hot takes are still there, that's for sure. But we appreciate her being here. 808-296-1420 is the number to call. Tanner Hayworth also in the building. He's working the boards. Uh, And so I wanted to talk about this uh, Tennessee punishment that was levied by the NCAA, where basically Tennessee has to vacate all 11 wins from 2019 to uh, 2020. This was under former head coach Jeremy Pruitt. uh, Part of the penalties uh, handed down by the NCAA stemming from recruiting violations and, I mean, there are a host of violations. Uh, An absurd number. The NCAA has referred to this as perhaps just in terms of how prolific the violations were one of the 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 biggest cases, like so many different instances uh, that that really have some odd details to it. Like Jeremy Pruitt and his wife uh, were providing cash for these recruits, and they would hand it to them in like fast food bags and that kind of stuff. I mean, just really kind of egregious uh, type of of NCAA violations, like very obvious uh, NCAA violations. But uh, the thing that's interesting about this is we have seen so many times over the years, right, whether you or not uh, you want to... Uh, uh, suggest that the NCAA has avoided penalizing some of the biggest uh, brand-name schools and programs for obvious reasons, because they're right. the biggest money generators. Uh, but they seem to have been trying to come down hard on some of those kinds of programs here recently, perhaps you know, with the intent of trying to add them, uh, you know, a little credibility to themselves, that kind of thing. But another criticism uh, has been that the NCAA's punishments. Punish the wrong people because there would usually be these long investigations, right, that would last multiple years. uh, And so the punishments, instead of being kind of retroactive because that's when these violations would occur, uh, they would do things like they would give a a program a postseason ban, uh, disallow them from playing in a bowl game if it's a football program. Um, You know, there would be those kinds of competitive disadvantages that essentially would punish the players and the coaches that are there currently with a program that in most cases had nothing to do with the violations that occurred years earlier. This punishment is a little bit different and it's actually the latest in what has been now at least multiple instances of the NCAA uh, maybe by design trying to avoid doing just that and so the fine that was levied by the NCAA eight million dollars which you might think for a program like Tennessee is a drop in the bucket and you're probably right but Tennessee avoided a postseason ban and that was something that current head coach Josh Heupel and the administration over there were very much trying to champion and campaign for was to avoid a postseason ban. Ban. And so they did. There will be a, a reduction in scholarships, 28 total scholarships. Uh, they are going to be placed on five years probation, meaning that, you know, uh, any kind of violation or any kind of hiccup along the way is going to result in further punishment. But what do you think about the way the NCAA is going about this form of punishment? Because I do think that there's something. Uh, to be said about the idea of why should the kids now, why should the coaches now pay a price for what was done before? But the other side here in this sort of double-edged sword conversation is – is the avoidance of something like that, a postseason ban, which directly impacts the revenue capabilities of a program, which is, as we know in college sports in this day and age, the most important priority bar none. An $8 million fine, is that enough? Even with some of the scholarships that are being stripped here, is all of that enough to dissuade other programs from still attempting to do some of the same kind of things. Is it enough enforcement, do you think? What's your take?
1: Well, I don't think vacating wins really bothers anybody when you had 11 wins in two seasons. True. Like, no, those, the Tennessee folks forgot about that already, right? Yeah. They, yeah. They, forgot, they vacated yeah, yeah. those seasons before this ever came out. I feel like in a way you're, you're setting almost a monetary value on two bowl games. You could look at it that way. I mean, they probably make more than $4 million a bowl game, but in a way you've punished them by taking away probably the money that they would have gotten you could look at it that mm-hmm. way right they didn't take the bowl games away but they find them maybe an amount of money that was somewhat here's my take on on a couple a couple things did the transfer portal are, are is the NC2a worried that once that bowl game ban happens or that People turn and run, right? The transfer portal gets hot out of Tennessee. Everybody's starting to go everywhere. Guys don't want to play for programs that don't have postseason ramifications. So you wonder if that plays into the way the N C two A is penalizing programs because they're not loving the movement in the transfer portal. I, I mean that could be one of the thoughts, but I sort of agree that once a uh, a group of coaches has left a program, it's really difficult to incur those punishments as a new regime. But Boy, there were a lot of violations there, Kanoa. There were like 200 violations. I mean, it wasn't like a couple. This was, there were a lot of violations. What was it like? Upwards of like 200 or something absurd like that? crazy. So, I mean, it's definitely a precedent because I feel like everybody feels like it was pretty soft. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty soft. So, I, yeah, I don't know what the plan is moving forward to the 2 I don't know what that thought process is, but um, and at a school like Tennessee, like you can find them eight million dollars. What if that fine comes to a? You yeah. know, I mean, do they find a mid major? That is it? A, do they set that money somehow? Yeah, like- is,
0: is the money going to be something that is uh, more relative to the the specific? Uh, budget of that said program that's being investigated right. by the NCAA. I think those are, those are things that have yet to be sort of answered, at least blatantly. Um, and I, d- I question whether or not a punishment is effective enough if the current administration and in this case, current head coach Josh Heupel says, I am pleased with the outcome. And of course he's pleased because yeah. they avoided the yeah. bowl ban. And hey, look, this Tennessee is, is busting right now. They won 11 games last year. It was their uh, first double-digit uh, wins campaign I think since 2007. Uh, and so they're, they're 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 feeling themselves and they're thinking, we got a chance for the CFP here uh, in the next few years. Uh, That's the rise that we're on. And so I get it. Like, yes, they would be pleased, but is that the byproduct of an effective? Punishment Is that enough to convince other programs? Because that's kind of what you punish these programs with the intent to do, is to make sure that nobody right? else attempts to do the same kind of thing because you're trying to maintain and, at and, least a semblance or at least the the depiction of competitive balance.
1: And it is a setback at Tennessee, I mean, that's, you know, it's not like you're, that program's going to reinvent itself. It's not like you're, it's a setback at a mid-major where you're finding I mean, them that, and that program like SMU or something could disappear for 10 or 12 years, right, before they – I mean, Tennessee – Probably could have taken a little more medicine and still been able to make that comeback. I think the other thing is the NC2A handbook and the stuff that is impossible for anybody to figure out. It's gotten. It's just a web of, mm-hmm. you know, I can get them a coffee on this day, but they can't come to this high school game and don't pay for that ticket, and you can't give their parents airfare. And, I mean, it is, it is... I'm not saying that those violations... Obviously, some of them were ridiculous, but minor violations in any program now is a nothing burger. Yeah. It is way too difficult to manage these programs and this amount of players in the current system. I mean, I feel like it's a little bit of a loss of control in so many ways of the NCAA between NIL and... And even mm. today, they've had SEC Media Day. And I... I heard one, some of the banter there was about getting the state legislatures involved because of what's going on with NIL and different states handling it and okaying it in different ways. I mean, so I feel like it's a real crossroads for the NC2A right now. I don't know if, you, as you're mentioning, that this is sort of a precedent for them to be able to manage all this stuff that's going on without wrecking programs and being the you know the bad guys all the time
0: yeah no you're right you know institutional control is something that is a pillar of what the NCAA enforces right and you're right like this this whole kind of NIL wild west scene that's been created uh, that is certainly um in in positioned in proximity with the transfer portal and all of the effects that and impacts that that has had um it has led to what can be referred to as a lack of institutional control on the part of the NCAA itself and so what do you do about that right you have a daughter who works in compliance Ooh, it's crazy. and I can't even imagine I mean just the reams of paper that have to be somehow combed through to try to understand okay what is legal what isn't legal and with everything that's circulating around you with regard to the NIL stuff that must be so difficult it's to navigate. crazy
1: and do, should compliance come within the institution right the pressure for compliance people right the relationships you have with coaches i mean maybe in some ways it, you know they've talked about these state like maybe compliance should have 50 people in these programs that are somewhat of an outside source to manage it because certainly most of them are understaffed yeah. half the people were, you, you don't really understand i mean and if you started digging deep into any of these power five programs over a course of a 10-year period come on you know, yeah. I, I, so it's. I think it is. There's a lot of layers to this, and and whether or not, uh, yeah, you feel like based on what the NC two A has done in the past, that yeah, boy, that was a slap on the wrist, but. Maybe they're trying to figure out how best to work with mm-hmm. these situations that are maybe almost unmanageable at this point. You
0: talked about the SEC, uh, SEC media days, and uh, Commissioner Greg Sankey is saying today that he feels like there's an urgent need for Congress yeah. to get involved to create a national standard for name, image, and likeness. And I, I tend to agree with him. I think that's that's one of the big mistakes that the NCAA made, right, as this, this uh, NIL uh, entity was introduced to college sports, right, is they basically washed their hands up it and said, all right, well, you guys decide. Member institutions, private institutions, state legislatures, you guys figure it out, and we'll just roll with the punches until there is some kind of national standard set. And so that just creates even more chaos and confusion, because what could be accepted uh, with regard to NIL in one state can be completely different in another state. And it even can be from institution to institution within a state, depending on if it's a public or a private institution. And so I agree with that, that There has to be a standard set because right now it's just wheeling and dealing and we don't really know what direction this thing is going to go. And I I do think, unfortunately, as much as there are bigger fish to fry on the part of our elected officials in Congress, this is something as it pertains to college sports that needs to get done.
1: Totally agree. And I think it's a a – I mean, I don't know how you do that. And I've kind of thought in the past that maybe you start going under different, you let the NCAA have March Madness in basketball. You know, there's been that talk about having Power Five football kind of go to their own, you know, as much as people don't want to see that. I mean, I'm not sure you're going to have to somehow make more sort of versions, different little compact sets of who's being legislated. I think it's really tough to legislate under that. Large umbrella for mid-majors and power fives, and whether we like it or not, doesn't mean you don't get those games in in non-conference situations and all that. But I I'm not sure that the David and Goliath, you know, You're right. that we've all grown up loving to watch, right? You know. It, that that's gonna really be able to exist because it's gotten so far away. I don't know how you rein that back. I
0: think that's a valid point, right? Because from a policy-making standpoint, how do you set standards when you're talking about programs that are under the FBS umbrella but are distinctly different? When you look at the very upper echelon and those mid-majors that are on the lower end of that, like those that that those areas on the spectrum are so far apart now, it is very much an apples and oranges type of of thing. And so, yeah, I, I think that. That that's becoming more and more of a problem. We could see it coming for years, and I think just the, the expanse between the big money generators, the haves, if you will, and the have-nots in college sports at that top echelon, um, it has become something that is just going to eventually lead to a fracturing. And so that's why this is such an important time in the history of University of Hawaii sports is because how do you navigate through that as a mid-major? How do you f- make sure that you are secure in your positioning and that you can still have this machine, this train that goes forward, even with all of the changing landscape that's on the horizon?
1: And, you know, even even when you talk about conference realignment, you know, I, I, that really sure. started a lot. And that was, st- like, heartbreaking. Like, they talked about the Oklahoma uh, blanking on the Oklahoma-Oklahoma the state rivalry. Oh, yeah. Uh, The Ah, the B, thank you. You know, things like that that people have just grown up with, and certainly people my age, those rivalries. Conference realignment is like a nightmare for me. I've grown up doing sports, and I'm thinking, wait, wait, wait. Are they in, you know, Conference USA? Did they go to the Big 12? You know, it's that actually, for me, was kind of tragic you know i miss those geographical rivalries and i miss i miss some of that so that was sort of slip away man we've
0: let college sports like we've we've let the the romance of it slip away uh because of the almighty dollar in so many ways for so many years we've got to take a break we've made it through two whole segments without (laughs) lamenting the fact that we don't have the dump button and i think that that unto itself is an (laughs) accomplishment more or less talk sports after this All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Lori Santi is my special guest co-host for the day. Coming to you on this Monday. Hope you enjoyed the weekend. We got Tanner Hayworth working the board as well. So much Punahou. Just so much of a Punahou vibe here. Guys, since Allison, it it's been like
1: two weeks between Corpus and it's been a long haul for
0: you. You were saying there, Tanner?
1: Not enough. <laughs>
0: need Never more. enough. Never enough. Um, all right. Uh, did you see uh, by any chance, Lori uh, Levion Bell uh, take to social media and apologize to the fans of the Pittsburgh Steelers, basically for saying that he mishandled uh, his breakup with the franchise by sitting out in 2019. Eventually, he signed uh, with the Jets, but uh, sounds like he has a little bit of. Um, uh, Buyer's remorse, maybe, as to how he went about handling that situation, and uh, just kind of interesting because the running back position—it's—it's right. uh, be, it's become a blind spot in the economical hierarchy and structure of the NFL, right? Where now you have these potential holdouts, right, uh, with um, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs—you know—you got the the whole situation with Dalvin Cook, and it's like these are stars on the football field, but that position uh, does not translate to longevity, and so they don't get tracked on the payment plan, if you will, from contract to contract in the same way that other positions do, and now we're seeing that become more and more of an overall league, team-by-team philosophy of, oh, we're going to get four to five solid years out of you. And then after that, you're going to have built a name for yourself as one of the best in the biz. And then guess what? We don't treat that position uh, with enough uh, of, of, like, intentionality, if you will. Uh, And certainly from a a contract standpoint, we don't treat that position with enough importance that we're going to do anything but maybe franchise tag you. We're definitely not going to give you the long-term deal that you've probably put in the work to deserve.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, though. It is the trend, right? It's not a surprise. And Le'Veon Bell, of course, the first guy that... That sort of thought that he was important, which he was at the time, and never resurrected that career. No. So Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs—it's a different position now, too. Though, right? It's the McCaffreys. It's the—it's the pass-catching backs. It's the—it's a little. I mean, four to five years. And you look at a team like the Chiefs—they're running backs. It's been a—it's yeah. been a rotation, right? They've won two Super Bowls, yeah. And they've had probably six running backs there that have had an effect on that. So I mean, the more you see that, the more you see the quarterback-driven passing game that the sort of like even the tight end position with Kelsey, is he really a tight end? He is a tight end, but he never really throws a block. I mean, it's sort of an interesting way that the game is evolving and it has been. I don't feel like it's a surprise. And I love Barkley. I think he deserves his money, but it's a four or five year position. There's no doubt about it. And you can, I mean, they've been saying that for years. You can draft a guy in the third round who becomes a guy that can help you win a Super Bowl. I mean, so it's definitely, it's different. It's not, it's not like the receiver, the wear and tear on these guys, the violence. Oh yeah. The vile, you know, the speed, and you you watch those guys taking those hits. Cause I'm I, I'm fascinated if they last four or five years. Uh, sure, I, I mean
0: you hate to apply this kind of generality because you know I, I don't have stats behind it, but there have been I think a fairly. Uh, disproportionate amount of, you know, incidents that we see from retired players um, that perhaps are in the more, like, harmful uh, arena, yeah. a lot of them are former running backs because of that sort of battery ram, you know, head-to-head, he- helmet-to-helmet type of collision that they have to undergo on a daily basis, and it just makes you think, like, if you're a young player and you're going into the sport of football, like, is is the running back position even something, if you are serious about the game, that you would want long-term to be at attached to because you're not going to present yourself or open yourself up to making the same kind of money as other offensive skill positions uh, certainly from a long-term contract standpoint and you're also probably going to uh, undergo the maximum amount of damage right. to your body as compared to the other offensive skill positions.
1: And I mean you look at even the fullback, the full, juice check, you know, the Niners of course have, they paid him what Eight million bucks a year or something ridiculous. But the fullback's kinda of, kinda of a lost position, right? So it sort of started with that. You don't see that kind of that kind of playing at the goal line really anymore. You see guys like Kamara and McCaffrey, yeah. and guys that are that are put in positions where they're not taking those flush hits as often. In fact, I was surprised that they gave the ball to McCaffrey as much as they did last year. I was worried about the Niners. The usage for him was and he's not a huge guy. No. But they deflect stuff. It's not, you don't really see that that those kind of hits that are being taken by the Josh Jacobs, even the Barkley, because they can't afford, they can't afford those you're guys right. to be hurt. And that it's was too one
0: much. Of, the, one of the things that made Barry Sanders so great, right, it was how he was able to somehow avoid that just massive hit, right, that oh, it, one yeah. collision, because he was just so hard to hit. He knew kind of how to go down, if you will. Oh, uh, you're and-
1: Dorset. You just ran out of bounds your whole career. Everybody criticized you for that, but I mean, hey, that guy's still still upright and has his wits about him.
0: But I think the, the reason I brought up Levy on Bell is because I think that's kind of a reflection of this right is, is he's looking at it now a few years past that time thinking you know what it's kind of a bird in the hand type of situation if you're a pro running back like as much as you think the grass might be greener and the money is going to be greater um, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the best move for your career you kind of got to just get it while you can and if you're in a position early on to be able to demand a bigger contract you got to do it and and, and yet in, in the instant Of a guy like Le'Veon Bell, uh, he kind of just left at a time where uh, he could have taken more advantage of his situation with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And
1: he played for a defensive coach. You know, you talk about sort of where those values lie with Mike Tomlin. He is kind of a defensive guy. Here's an interesting thing I heard: was that basically Barkley and these these guys that are franchise tagged can't right negotiate with their team or another team until the last game of the regular season. So it was pointed out that maybe if you're Saquon Barkley and your franchise or you're that's not a good example. You're the franchise guy after the regular season when you go to the playoffs, do you sit a game and negotiate and play hard? Do you sit a playoff? Do you do you walk away and go, I'm not playing this playoff game unless because Ah. It's only the regular season that they have; they can't negotiate. Once the playoffs start, oh, I mean, I don't know that anybody would. But you know, that's a, mean, that's a, you're, If you're wait, your guy waiting on money, and you feel like you've not been, not been treated. That'll be that's maximum maxi- leverage, right? That's maximum leverage. You don't leverage. have that.
0: We're seeing it now. You don't have that kind of leverage now in the off season. If if you're a running back, Tanner, you got a thought here before we take a break. Or a saying for your – if you're a pro running back, maybe you just play good enough to just be a backup running back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That that lends itself to greater uh, longevity. All right, we have a caller on the line. I don't think we're going to have time to get this call in. Maybe on the other side of the break. We'll go ahead and take a break. Uh, apologies to the caller. Just got in here, but we're up against it. So uh, we'll be back with more Let's Talk Sports, including our best and worst. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Lori Santi, my guest co-host here for the day. Apologies to the caller. Phil was trying to get in. We're just up against time here and, and just ran out a little bit, in terms of making sure we get in what we got to get in, before we say aloha. So, uh, Sorry, thanks for the call, but uh, we'll be back tomorrow if you want to call in then. All right, um, let's get to our best and worst here, Lori. What is your best here for today?
1: My best, I'm going with Sabrina Ionescu hitting 25 out of 27 three-point shots in the three-point competition for the WNBA, setting an NBA and WNBA three-point shooting competition record. Surpassing Steph and yeah. whoever else, those other three. There was, oh, you know what? I happened to turn it on because, of course, it. was- Oh, you a, watched it live. I actually turned it on to tape it, and it was on it like new. You noon. still use VHS it tapes? A, oh. was, <laughs> and I thought, oh, I got to. I couldn't remember what time it was. Of course, it was at a time that no one saw it, and I, I actually caught it, and it was. Un- yeah. And did she had the bonus ball? Was a little bit like off the rack, you know? I mean, it was like. It was an unbelievable display of shooting. So, hats off to New York Liberty's uh, UNESCO.
0: Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's really cool. Um, that We brought it up a little bit late last week, too. Um, this is just one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. Uh, the greatest performance in a three point shootout uh, of any kind that we've ever seen. She she just uh, she was just amazing. And I've watched that video over and over, like was, probably like a dozen times. It's just it's remarkable.
1: It was remarkable. Yeah, live wise, it was crazy.
0: Uh, all right, my best, uh, Allison Corpus. Hey, Punaho. Back in the mix. Alison Corpus finishing second at the Dana Open. Um, Just, you know, (laughs) vaulting as we kind of suspected off of her U.S. Women's Open championship a week earlier and uh, finished uh, in second place. Just three strokes off of the victory. She gets 160 plus $1,000 uh, for her uh, exploits. A little bit uh, smaller yeah, amount know, than what right? she won the previous week, but you know what? We kind of thought. You inject some confidence into this uh, young woman's mind and, and her mentality and approach to the game, and, and she could be really dangerous. There have been some other uh, golf pros who have said that about her, uh, and we might be seeing that now coming to fruition. Yeah,
1: that five out of six part that she birdied the last five out of six holes at that last round, so yeah, knowing how to be in contention, I think she she got over that hump.
0: Alright, uh, what is your worst? Has he
1: my worst is a tennis Tennessee thing kind of left a bad taste I mean then it's kind of back-to-back stuff like there were a lot of violations there I'm not saying that that you know the punishment didn't fit the crime we'll see what they do moving forward but yeah you know no bueno. I mean, between Northwestern and It's not what you want to. You don't want to hear that stuff rolling into college football season. You know, you kind of want to, kind of want to be on the upswing. You, you want to get pumped up to go into college football, and we're not really.
0: Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You know, Ouch. I, I agree. It's just uh, again, the the way the NCAA is punishing this thing though does open up, I think, some room for conversation as to whether or not this is the way to do it. If this is, I I do like the idea of current players not being punished for something that they had nothing to do with. That said. Is it enough to deter future activity from elsewhere? That's, that's going to be kind of the round-robin questioning and uh, discourse, I think, around uh, this particular instance. Uh, my worst, I'm going back to it. That's right. We brought it up early. I'm going back to it. Marty Fish on the tee box at Lake Tahoe. Somebody yells in his backswing. You You can't have that happen.
1: Steph Curry had an opportunity. Is it the buff and blue? Steph Curry had an
0: opportunity. He should have demanded that Marty Fish get another (laughs) swing. He should have demanded that. uh, You know what he should have done? He should have missed that eagle putt. He should have left it short. Lagged it on purpose. (laughs) And he should have said, "Hey, let's go to a playoff. Let's replay the hole and let's do this right because." That's the kind of respect I have for the game and the sport. But no, he went running around.
1: Tim Duncan would have done that.
0: He absolutely <laughs> would have done <laughs> that. That? that. Tim Duncan and the Spurs were all about, and continue to be all about legitimacy, except for you know when they tank to get the uh, number one pick overall, which uh, work like a champ. Yeah. All right. No. I, all right. I, okay. I'm just saying. That's my last. That's my last point. You can't be yelling at golf tournaments. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, Lori Santi disagrees, but you know what? Love you, Lori. Yeah, you uh, always too, a man. pleasure having you here. Uh, good to have Tanner in the house a- as well. Congrats on the well. win.
1: Congrats on the golf <laughs> win at you. your memorial. Thank
0: yep. you. Thank yep. you. All we right, right. Uh, we'll be on a little hiatus here. We'll be back tomorrow. See you folks later. Have a good one.